You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. My specific talk was all about right rhinos. In fact, mm-hmm. put your mm-hmm. seatbelt on. What can they teach us? What the San Diego Zoo announced a few weeks ago in 2019 is they created two northern white rhino embryos. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And we're back to one one of Angie's favorites. We clarified that last week. It's one of two. We have two favorites. Yes, definitely two favorites. Uh, zebras and rhinos. Well, and mm-hmm. horses too. Oh, maybe there's three. I don't know, Chris. Well, I love equids and horns. That's right. all it matters. Yeah, yes, but de- <laughs> <laughs> but definitely white rhinos are up there, and I've got to be up close and personal recently, uh, and obviously study them in some of my dissertation work. So, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, and if you've never rubbed a rhino belly, you probably haven't lived. So <laughs> I got to I rub a rhino's that. shoulder. I did get to yeah, rub the shoulder, yeah, but yeah. Oh, yeah. In any, really any part. So, or, yeah. or feed them. I, you know, got mm-hmm. to experience that again when I was in Africa, which never gets old. It just, it just never gets old. It doesn't matter how often you do it. And I definitely uh, long for maybe, Maybe in my next life uh, to be a rhino keeper again, because that would be... And I'll join you and John and Xander and everybody, and we'll just be all happy at a zoo together, because I would love to just take care of animals all day, every day. It would be amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but we have a higher calling, yes, this podcast. The- this podcast is our higher calling. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah. And we're revisiting southern white rhinos, you know, or white rhinos, because we're going to cover a little bit on the northern, the two that are left, because early on... Angie and I thought we could handle a bunch of species at once, but we realized that was a bad strategy for trying to keep it at an hour. Well, it's just science. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. We try things, they fail, yeah, and then we try again. We learn from it and go about it a different way. So we wanted to revisit this, and we'll definitely revisit some of the other rhino species at some point, too. Like, we definitely will. Yeah. Well. Chris, we can't forget last year's interview that I did with Dr. Barney Long from Global Wildlife Conservation and about 
the work that him and his team and others, several others, are doing to save the critically endangered Sumatran rhino. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that interview was just incredible, and we'll oh, have to yeah. we'll have to remind people to check that one out because it is it was it was a little over a year ago, but they're still mm-hmm. in crisis and they still need our help. And I know we're talking about white rhinos today. <laughs> yes, yes, we are, but but, but yeah, the Sumatran and Javan, boy, they they're they're in big, 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 big trouble. And they are. Uh, they are. But today we'll we'll have some good news to share and yeah. about the white rhino, and then also and what we need to keep working on as well, because being in Africa, being on the ground, talking with people, talking about research, seeing them, uh, it was actually very disheartening several aspects of it and we need to try harder so we'll stick with us and we'll share all that and hopefully uh get you more excited about white rhinos if you weren't already before yeah and that was episode 55 uh, with barney long he i cannot wait to meet him one day i will meet him he him and robin moore Those two are he's up definitely. There. He's up there with Leonardo for me, man. He's up there. Yeah, they are amazing. They're amazing in the work they're doing. And I want to brag on Angie a little bit because Angie's going to talk about today why she was in Africa, right? You were at an animal health conference presenting some rhino work. Yes, talking all about wildlife. And I got to talk. My specific talk was all about right rhinos. In fact, mm-hmm. put your mm-hmm. seatbelt on. The title of my talk was preliminary analysis of serum phytoestrogens in white rhinoceroses using <laughs> liquid chromatography, multiple reaction monitoring, mass spectrometry. <laughs> you are a scientist and yeah. I'm going to brag on you for a second. I'm going to brag on you for a second. It was a lot of chemistry. It's a lot more chemistry than I signed up for, for the record folks, but I okay. mostly enjoyed it. And, and pregnant. Right? Why you were doing some of that work? Yes. One of my and, favorite pictures is me heavily, heavily pregnant, like a moo cow yes. pregnant. And I couldn't fit the white lab coat on yes. buttons. And so there's <laughs> so like one bu- button open. And I'm at the University of Florida at our biotechnology center with, with my good friend and confidant and collaborator, uh, Dr. Cecilia Silva Sanchez. And she's mm-hmm. cracking up because I'm holding my, uh, these two coolers with the samples in it. And I'm just bursting mm-hmm. from the scenes and she's like, please don't let your water break. Here. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you, you approached me years ago and I just want to say you had an insane work ethic. You developed this assay that hopefully will contribute to helping preserve white rhinos. That was your goal. Oh, and potentially others. Yes. I made a lot of connections mm-hmm. when I was in Africa, mm-hmm. which was the whole goal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. And it was, you started off, you started off with this project. White rhinos was the goal. And we used horses as a model because you're going to f- find out if you don't already know they're a close relative to rhinos. And you just, your PhD work was phenomenal, phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's just, wow. I'm lucky to call you friend. I really am. Oh, I really am. Thank you. And obviously being around our whole team, our whole lab, it was just inspirational and it's a lot of hard work. But I think the thing that you taught me and several others is that when you are passionate about something and you have a scientific question and you want to answer it, that you stay interested and you stay curious. And even when it gets tough, you keep going and you keep going right. and you keep going. And at the end of the 
four or five years in my part, five and a half. Mm-hmm, <laughs> time mm-hmm. well, you, had a ba- you had a baby in there. I mean, come on. Oh, you yeah, had a baby yeah, in a there. couple. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. but you're going to have probably more questions and answers and that's okay. That's part of the scientific process. And for me, even though if you didn't fall asleep when I was reading the title of my abstract, because if there is white rhinoceroses in the title, (laughs) but there's a lot of, a lot of, um, analytical chemistry lingo in there. It's, it didn't matter that I had to learn, relearn chemistry. I wish I would have paid more attention the first time back at Michigan state for goodness sakes. Yeah. Yeah. But I did whatever it took. And I, and I, of course, in science in this day and age, it's the people you collaborate with. No one can be the one expert on everything. You, you make a team. In fact, Mm -hmm. uh, big granting agencies won't give you money unless you have a very diverse portfolio of team of experts Mm -hmm. all working together, a very uh, interdisciplinary approach. And so I depended heavily on Cecilia to teach, reteach me chemistry and what I needed to know about mass spectrometry, which is an analytical chemistry technique to measure molecules. And she was amazing. And I'll never forget us being at a, a restaurant slash bar here in Gainesville and me having the piece of paper and, and saying, I'm going to buy you dinner and a beer and you're going to teach me chemistry for dummies, basically. Let's go. <laughs> yes, well, yes, it wasn't yes. chemistry for dummies because no, we don't have time yeah, for all that. It was mass spec <laughs> for, yeah, which is insane. for animal, for animal scientists because I, I'm mm-hmm. a whole animal. I'm a large I'm a body systems physiologist. physiology. Mm-hmm, when we get mm-hmm. molecular, it gets a little wonky. Um, but anyways, mm-hmm. so my point being is that I did it for the rhinos. <laughs> yeah, I know. Way. You did. You did. Definitely. You did. And I you had did. a question and I wanted to know the answer about phytoestrogens and what is happening when we feed animals under human care, when we're feeding them products that they wouldn't naturally come around in the wild. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. We're, and we're doing great by them and, and making sure they're maintaining the right fat and protein and carbohydrates and things like that. But there's some non-nutritive molecules that come from plants that uh, can potentially cause them to have reproductive issues. All right. All right. All right. Let me jump in because this is starting to sound like mitochondria DNA. <laughs> you made fun of me last week. I've got some shout outs to give, but let's just, let's, let, let's so jump funny. into it here. We were going to kind of save it for a little bit later, but it, it, since the conversation's there now, let, let's go with it. So Angie, when looking at her PhD project, her and I were sitting down and trying to brainstorm what she wanted to do. And obviously, wildlife, endangered species is where her heart and passion is. But we were kind of stuck in this department where we use livestock. So we thought about, you know, we love horses and we like working with horses. Well, and we had a bunch. More, not that there's much money, but there's more. Not much, but there's more money there to do research in. So Angie talked to me about white rhinos. And what I didn't know, and Angie taught me about this, was in captivity, white rhinos do not breed well at all, at all. This is a huge problem in San Diego. You know, they're getting better. Yeah, they're definitely getting better. But they don't breed like, yeah, it's been horrible, horrible reproductive rates, not getting pregnant or not carrying pregnancy to term. And the way you explained it to me is a big issue. Yeah. So what you explained to me was, and what we learned, any white rhino they bring into under human care, that it's a female, she breeds fine. Absolutely. She, she's, she grows up in the wild. They bring her under human care so she doesn't get poached. 
and they use her and she breathes, she gets pregnant, no problem. It's her daughters and her daughter's daughters and the daughter, daughter, daughters, you know, granddaughters that don't breed well at all. They're messed up. They don't cycle. They don't carry pregnancy to term. They have a lot of cysts and things like that. They can. Yeah. So Angie was curious why. And as a good scientist, and we started looking at it. And so she's doing what she calls phytoestrogens, which really are high in some plants like alfalfa hay, which we tend to feed or we used to feed white rhinos, and then also soybeans. So a lot of animal feeds use soy protein in their feed for protein, you know, for the animal. And that has a lot of phytoestrogen. So Angie's hypothesis was there would be more phytoestrogens in these feedstuffs and then thus more phytoestrogens in the blood of white rhinos. And what'd you find? Put you on the spot. What was your research findings? Bingo, bango. That was Mm -hmm. exactly it. Uh, Oh, but let let, let me back it up. Let me back it up real quick. Sorry. And nobody knew how to measure this stuff. So let me really... That's Which we're not going to get into. Yes. Yes. We <laughs> we're had, not going to get into yes. it, but Angie developed the assay with Cecilia and others to be able to measure this stuff. Nobody knew how to measure it before. We didn't have a, 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 in the a, blood. a test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the blood. And Angie so there, there is the only one in the world who developed it. So currently, currently right now. <laughs> currently. Yes. Yeah. Yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and that's why we have to share it. That's why I was at the conference right. telling people don't reinvent the wheel. Just. Right. Ship me your samples. Let's, let's yes. get this, let's get this party started. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, well, and uh, the group out of San Diego, Dr. Tubbs and his colleagues and Candace Williams and some just wonderful people that have been helpful along the mm-hmm. way, um, helping me not reinvent the wheel and giving me guidance. They have been looking at it and Dr. Tubbs is the one that started this whole thing looking at it and changing diets and seeing that if they weren't being fed alfalfa, that white rhinos seem to have potentially better reproductive rates. So, but what was lacking is a test to actually measure it in the blood. And so Mm -hmm. with phytoestrogens, there is a lot of individual variability. Some animals and similar in humans are much more sensitive to it depending on their genetics than Mm -hmm. others. And so my whole thought process is like, well, you can't totally remove phytoestrogens from diets. It's just that very highly unlikely that that's going to happen. So mm-hmm. we need to know what individuals potentially are more susceptible and a simple blood test would help us know what's going on from, uh, from their metabolism. Because what a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize this until I started, started studying nutrition better and metabolism is that mm-hmm. when you, just because you eat something, obviously there's a normal foods, protein, carbohydrates, all that, that our bodies are used to getting. But when you eat some of these non-nutritional or non-necessary things like high estrogen diets, phytoestrogens, right. Or like dandelion weed, or I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think of any of the, the really like hot, you know, there's always some kind of hot uh, supplement that's like, Oh, Mm -hmm, take mm -hmm. this devil's claw or something, you know, whatever type of plant, (laughs) just because you, there's a lot of unknowns about whether the animal or the person will be able to absorb it into their small intestines, into their blood mm-hmm. system, and then have it go through there or not. Some Sometimes you have transporters for these things and you're not going to mm-hmm. actually absorb it or absorb it very well. And so it might not have an effect on your body. You might just poop and pee it right out. So mm-hmm. understanding what's going on in the blood is really important for uh, metabolism studies, what goes in, what circulates and what do you poop out? And mm-hmm. that's why it was super fun. I look at 
at the blood of the white rhinos, but it was super fun to be in Africa because most of the people I was there were mm -hmm. wildlife and zoological endocrinologists or researchers from universities that, that are fascinated by poop and hormones. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the endocrinology of, of poop, basically what's going on. And poop is an amazing way to study what's going on with your hormones because it's, you can collect these samples with very non-invasively. Everybody poops, animals poop. You don't have to go in and get the blood. Now, luckily for me, the blood that I was able to collect from white rhinos, they're actually trained for it. So they come up and mm -hmm. they, they either give you their foot or their ear and you feed them and they stand there happy as a clam. They could walk away. It's all positive mm -hmm. reinforcement training. Uh, they're not, they can choose if they want to give blood or not. So it's an amazing training system. And these were the keepers. I didn't do the training, the keepers, of course. That's why being mm -hmm. a keeper is amazing because you get to do all it those is, fun nice things. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, uh, they helped me and they, you know, got the blood samples for me basically. And I got just got the pet rhinos. So win win for me, but not every animal is train using positive reinforcement training for blood collections. And so that's where the poop comes in handy to kind of tell the story of the, the health mm -hmm. and the story of the animal. Are they pregnant or are they stressed out? Right. Cortisol right, right. is uh, a stress hormone. And so right. uh, are, if they're uh, male, how high is their testosterone? Uh, there's a lot that you can look at. And so I got to sit and listen to amazing researchers at different zoos throughout the world because this, I should mention, and I haven't yet, uh, that I was at the International Society for Wildlife Endocrinology. So it's an mm -hmm. international group. That's why the conference was held in Africa, uh, in South Africa at Kruger National Park. And it was just really rad. <laughs> it was, yeah, I know. It was amazing. I know. And so, yeah, I, I uh, met a lot of, I knew some people there, but my whole reason of going to was to share work. That's why us researchers go to these conferences. And this one was extra fun. We would, we would get up mm -hmm. at five in the morning and do sunrise safari cruises before we went to our, uh, our, our all day conference, hearing everybody mm -hmm. talk. And then on some of the evenings, we would go on sunset safari cruises. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, no complaints there. There was definitely some no. fun to be had, but no, I no, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the first people I met there was literally the world renowned elephant researcher, Dr was Dr. Janine Brown from the Smithsonian National Zoo, who's worked with elephants for 30 years, studying their physiology, mm -hmm. their endocrinology, and making sure their their populations stay healthy, that they're healthy when they're living under human care. And she introduced herself, and I said, I know you, you're famous. <laughs> she, she was like, she's like, well, no. And I was like, yeah, you are. But it was great. Yeah. We exchanged yeah. information and hopefully I'll be able to collaborate yeah. with her and things like that. So yeah. Hopefully she's listening to the podcast now. You got to recruit her. I know. <laughs> Push uh, yeah. her podcast. I'll have her give a talk. Cause yeah, yeah. Her, I mean, she's yeah. just, she's, she's, yeah, we got to interview her. We got to interview yeah. her, but yeah. And then the, the whole thing was, I don't know if we said it with phytoestrogens, but the your hypothesis is these high estrogen diets blunt or mess up these female rhinos why they're either gestating in mama's belly or when they're young developing we don't know yet so that was kind of why you wanted to look at this because keeping rhinos under human care we're finding out is critical especially these Sumatrans you you talked about Dr Barney Long how they were bringing all what 70 
if that, 50 yes, to 70 mm-hmm. under human care so we can save save them. Yeah, and poached like crazy, yeah. Yeah, and what we've learned under housing these animals is helping save rhinos around the world and in the wild. So kudos to you. And, and that, you are what we were you gonna, eat, right? So yeah, it's like in humans, true. it's important to monitor your health. It can have long-lasting mm-hmm. uh, generational effects, especially if you're a woman. And uh, the same is most likely true for animals. And it's our yeah, job yeah. as zoo scientists to and zoo nutritionists and zoo veterinarians and zoo researchers and endocrinologists to do the best by them and figure out how to keep them the healthiest. Right, right. And I have I have a huge announcement coming here in a second, but I do have to get some shout outs. We didn't oh, get I'm to so them yet. I'm so sorry. I'm like no, the, no, I want I'm that like story the worst is person to interview. I just keep talking. No, and talking. it is no, you're the best. You were the best because it is fascinating work. And but a couple shout outs. First, we had a couple you know additions to Patreon this week. Julia from Minnesota, my goodness. We love you. We absolutely love you. Like, thank you. And we're going to be in touch very soon. Uh, Pippa from Liverpool joined us. So thank you both so much. You know, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is, it touches our hearts and, you know, our again, conservation quick, hero family is growing and that's so it is. important. It is. It is. And we are giving back to conservation and you're helping us spread the, the message around the world. I mean, literally around the world. We have listeners around the world. So anyways, cup of coffee a month or cup of cup of cappuccino you support us and we give back to conservation we're actually going to have a new species for our patreon listeners here in the next uh, week and a half i think or within two weeks that will be up up there for them we have a special one for them uh friends on instagram i mean again this is how angie and i have grown because of you our listeners sharing so mike from la zoo mike you're my bud Hope Cinderella was worth it. Um, <laughs> people that follow us on Instagram will get that. He, he got the new Disney plus and he told me he watched Cinderella like five times. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he's watching the Mandalorian show, whatever. Stephanie Arney, our special friend. We've got oh, some news about her coming my, in a couple of weeks. She is my West Coast bestie buddy. Oh, Sister she's amazing. From another mother, man. She is yeah. awesome. We had a good two-hour conversation with her. That's going to be coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, a couple others meeting Mia. Mia, thank you for your support. Brian, YLB, Jungle Jordan, 23. He's going to be coming on the pod soon. Entirely Echo, you're amazing. That guy messages us back and forth all the time. He's funny. Yeah, he's great. I know, I know. And so many more. So thank you. You know, we're going to keep doing some shout-outs. But thank you for sharing. And the announcement, Angie... This week, which we I think we we might have said it last week, I don't remember, but we have a huge interview that oh, we're releasing. Man, another one that's right up there. Boy, I have yeah. all these conservation crushes. I got Leo, oh. Dr. Barney, and now <laughs> Rick Schwartz from the San yes. Diego Zoo. Yeah. He is the spokesperson. He is amazing. Angie and I just had such, uh, again, two hours talking to him. Uh, the zoo show just aired on Animal Planet that he was a big part of. We had an amazing conversation with him. That is going to be released this Thursday, so look for that. And that's my hometown zoo. Like, just uh, lots of good feels with so that great. one. It was just so great. Yeah, and we talked about some of the major advancements in white rhinos, which we're going to get to at the repro. Yes. But they, about the, uh, specifically about the northern white rhino when there's only two left in the world. So we're going to explain that in a little bit when we get to repro and talk about what they were doing. So 
You know, Angie, like last week, you know, why we wanted to revisit the species again, the rhino poaching crisis, like we talked about last week with African elephants. I mean, it's been two years since we've addressed this a little bit. It's still ongoing. It's, you know, yes. it's still a well, big problem. You, when I was in Africa, we wanted to do a podcast while I was there. Uh, and they actually had internet. So Kruger's amazing. Go to Kruger. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend mm-hmm. it. Uh, it's just phenomenal. And certain mm-hmm. camps, the camp that I was at, uh, was way more than a camp. It had a restaurant so I could have coffee mm-hmm. in the morning mm-hmm. and a glass of wine at night and a little bit of internet. It didn't really work for like an actual live chat while I was there, but, but I kept messaging Chris when I was there about, what I was experiencing firsthand because I've, because I've been blessed enough to have been to Africa before. And this, this was my third mm-hmm. time. It's been a while and it's, it's been about two, t- 10 years. And I had been to other countries such as Zambia and Tanzania. I'd been to South Africa, but I've not been to Kruger. So this is my first experience at Kruger. And I actually got to see a white rhino, Mom and her calf in the yeah. wild. Awesome. And yes. I need to yes. send you that picture. It's not good because it was at nighttime. So okay. it's a little okay. dis- disheartening because yeah. people with all their fancy cameras in this day and age, you know, make these beautiful, amazing National Geographic shots and mine's all blurry and fuzzy. And I'm like, there's the first rhino I've seen in the wild <laughs> after my third time <laughs> to Africa. I finally got to see. Yes. I got to see it. And it was at nighttime and it was amazing. And we watched, uh, it was a, like I said, it was a mom and a calf and we watched them for probably about five or 10 minutes. They were drinking water. They were at this watering hole mm-hmm. and there was actually a lion nearby, but he, he had a full mm-hmm. belly. So he wasn't that he could care less. And the, and the mom yeah. was very smart. She put herself in between like as she walked, you know, they're probably 50 to a hundred yards away from each other. But he, I mean, as she right. kind of walked in his vicinity, she put herself in between and, and he, mm-hmm. and he no lion's going to mess with, with mama white rhino. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but just being in the park and learning about the park. I also, because we were, uh, I was with a special group. So we got to, to do some VIP things that wouldn't normally happen. I don't think unless you're special. So that's, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. one, of, one mm-hmm. of my motivations. I was like, I'll write an abstract and present in front of a whole bunch of people and be nervous to go yeah. to Africa and do all these <laughs> yes. other fun things. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but we got to go visit a rhino orphanage or rhino boma, uh, which is basically a place where uh, rhinos that have been injured in the wild, primarily from poaching, are taken in and cared for by brilliant rangers in Kruger National Park and they're housed under human care. And mm-hmm. a boma is a, maybe, I don't know if it's a South African word or terminology for basically like a big enclosed fenced area, but it's very thick because it has to be rhino proof. And when they come to the rhino boma, um, they're either injured and they need to be nursed back to health or their calves that have, whose mom has been poached because calves stay with their moms for a long time. And, mm-hmm. and when the poachers kill the mom, take the horn, they usually leave the baby behind because the horn's not big, which mm-hmm. I guess is somewhat thoughtful, but the calf Still, usually is yeah. not going to do survive, survive yeah. on its own. Mm-hmm. And so, that's where um, the rangers will get a call to come pick up a calf. And when I when we went to the Boma, we got to to see 
a, a lot of that and hear a lot of individual rhino stories mm-hmm. and most, there were mostly white rhinos there. There was one or two black rhinos and they were mostly adults and a couple of them had come in as young calves, but just were, they're unable to the re, they're one or two now and, but they're unable to release them due to being concerned about putting them back out, out, um, out in the park and uh, mm-hmm. not being safe for them. And the adults that come in had gunshot wounds that they were here healing from. And when we were there, they had just brought in a female that had been uh, shot. And I guess now the poachers are starting to use silencers on their guns. Mm. And the problem with silencers, I guess, from a, um, from a, aim point of view is they make mm-hmm. it less accurate. Right, right. So they're quieter, but they're less accurate. So the park is seeing more and more rhinos wounded. that have been yeah. wounded, but they didn't yeah. die. So in theory, that's I mean, maybe a good thing. But the mm-hmm. problem is when these rhinos come in, really the care for them can be hard. They just basically are trying to give them antibiotics, push fluids, and hope for the best. Um, right. But for me, uh, it was... We talk about this in the podcast for two years. We've interviewed people. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it. I see it on my feed because I follow a lot of, uh, of course, a ton, pretty much every, every rhino organization I know, out there. I know, I know. But to see it with my own eyes was just, I mean, that's why I was messaging you like, Oh my God, Chris, mm-hmm. we, we have to do better by these animals. Yeah. And yeah. one of the, yeah. one of the females had just come in and she had a through and through from basically like her withers out through her, the front of her shoulder. She had been there a day and a half and her, her whole shoulder was just red. Um, mm. and yeah, it's they, they said, they it's, said it's a, a wait and see game and mm. they had recently had other ones that had been shot that had been okay and had passed away unexpected, yeah. like not unexpectedly, but had suddenly passed away after being there for a few weeks. So they yeah. said it's just, it's kind of 50 50 when they come in wounded. Now, when the calves come in, the calves do fantastic. <laughs> They're fine. Yeah, oh, they know I've how to seen... take care of calves. You know, the, the calves, yeah. the calves are fine. But then the question is, well, then do we, you know, re-release the calf back in the park? Right. They don't when... have all the survival skills they learned from mama. Like, yes, yes, it's a complex, it's a complex situation. Yeah, and it was, it was. It was the type of experience that I'm glad that I had. Um, and mm-hmm. I was going as a visitor. So of course I mm-hmm. was picking the, the, the ranger and the animal caretakers brains a lot and try not to be that super obnoxious student, but <laughs> wanting to learn more about what they're doing and what's happening. And so that's just what I wanted to also share, uh, with our listeners today is that there's amazing people doing amazing things for these rhino. Yes. I mean, I think for, for every poacher out there, there's, you know, 10 or so or a hundred or so amazing people that are fighting for them. I was just really downtrodden or disappointed or, uh, texting you like Chris, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. because Kruger is for those of you that aren't familiar with Kruger, didn't listen to the last podcast. I, I won't go into too much details. Um, but Kruger is kind of like Disney world. It's like yeah. Disney world yeah. of national parks. Africa. It's, yeah. Of Africa. It's, yeah. It's very well done, very safe, very, um, there's, you know, there's posh parts that are really posh and like nice, you know, luxurious. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's mm-hmm. like just camping and, and all that. And you have to have permits to go in and things like that. But it's, uh, 
it's you can see all the animals there and you can see like the big five there and just a, mm-hmm. a huge 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 array of wildlife from birds yeah. to reptiles to mammals big mammals all of that so tourists love it that's me i loved it i saw more wildlife there than my other two safaris in africa and uh, either zambia or tanzania so it was from that perspective it was amazing and one of the other really cool things about Kruger is it's humongous. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I mentioned them in the last podcast. We did last it's, week. Yeah, we yeah, did last week. Yeah, it's about the size of Israel or like they said. It's, it's huge. Uh, like I, I forget the other statistic, but it's hu- huge, which is amazing. So you can – And real, real quick, it, yeah. it borders – so people – you know, I put the map up. So if you really want to learn more, last week Angie really does an awesome job talking about it. But it, it's it's snug up in the what did you say the, North the northeast corner mm-hmm. on Mozambique and Zimbabwe right Correct. or the the two mm-hmm. countries and they that have parks borders. that border it too so it becomes even right you were talking about bigger, that yeah. it's just this big this big area and it's just amazing especially when you go you can stay in the south part of the park and then travel to the north and there's different wildlife there and you can just see so many things but with that being said. It was a really heavy heart that I found out that there is still a ton of poaching going on in Kruger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just incredible amounts. And in fact, when you're looking at both black and white rhinos combined, the ranger, and so this isn't super scientific, but he told me in 2018, there was about 700 in Kruger poached alone in 2018. And this is with, and they have for the record, Tons of rangers. They have dogs. They have fences. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. have uh, helicopters that they share with, uh, I think, a couple of other neighborhood parks. Um, they have a lot of support around the local villages and then some probably not as much. Uh, and it's just – it's still not enough. And a lot of that's probably because the park is so big. Mm-hmm. The rhinos that are more in the middle of the park tend to do better because the poachers don't go too deep into the park usually because they're trying to, you know, they have to pretty much go in and then get out in the same night or whatever. Right. right. Uh, and so it's more the ones on the outskirts um, and the ones sometimes a lot closer towards the border of Mozambique, um, right. Zimbabwe. Uh, and so it's, it's, the numbers are down from, yeah. So, yeah. Just jump in real quick. The, yeah, please. Just you're, in South you're Africa. My, you're my sta- I'm talking. I'm no. talking from my heart today. You're I know. One, you're being the scientist today. You're you're giving the stats. I know, but I don't want to. You know, and listening to you, it just it gives me more motivation to do what we're doing. You know, not to promote us, but to spread the word to be be a be a a puzzle piece because you know even like ugh, Stephanie, the amazing interview and Rick, you know, incredible interview. We're just a piece of this mosaic of conservation that we're trying to promote around the world. And, you know, in South Africa alone, in here you go. In 2007, only 13 rhinos were poached. In 2007, 12 years ago. So overall in Africa alone, 1,100 rhinos were poached. So most of them are being poached in South Africa. And that makes sense because that's where most of them are. Most of them are there, yes. And so in 2017... In just South Africa, there was 1,028 rhinos poached. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So the good news is that in 2018 in South Africa alone, so which is mostly Kruger, uh, mm-hmm. there were only 769 rhinos poached. Total, right, Total. right. And that includes black too, but the black yes. are really not, in, yeah, their population low is population. Small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what we know about 2019, which is the we're at the end of the year when we're recording this episode, is that as of August, so six months into 2019, the Department of Environmental Affairs announced that 318 rhinos have been poached in the first six months of the year. Okay. okay. So, so it's down. It's down. Theoretically, as of now, yes, it's hopefully going to be down even from last year, from 2018. And so... That is good news. And, right. and it wasn't until I got home and I, I started dorking out on these numbers that in talking with you and that there is, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of hope here and some conservation optimism. There's a lot of things that are going right. It was just, I hadn't really done my research before I left about the specific numbers of 2017 and 18 since we did the, the last pod. Right, and right. So when they told me that 700 had been poached in 2018 in Kruger alone, I just I know, I know. I I I I yeah. didn't start crying because I was in with a group of people. Yeah, I know, but you wanted to. You wanted I just to. couldn't. I'm like, my God, if Kruger can't do it, who can? No. Well, and that was my, but but that was my original thinking. But then I stood back yeah. and I realized a lot of it, like I said, is the size, and right. and I asked the ranger. And interesting because we we're all everybody's asking questions. Mm-hmm. And I asked the ranger and I said, you know, if a philanthropist or some, you know, whatever, Bill Gates or something gave you a mm-hmm. billion dollars to fight rhino poaching or poaching in general in the park, mm-hmm. where should the money go? And it was interesting because you could just kind of see like nobody's ever, you know, they they don't have a ton right. a ton of funds there, right? No. And so he he basically said, uh, he's like, there's no one magic fix he's like it no he's no. like it, it's a lot we need more rangers we need more vehicles yeah. we need more dogs we need yeah. more helicopters yeah he, he said we yeah. only they only the park only has like two that they share with other parks which makes mm. i mean helicopters are expensive right yes and yes. so he said that what would happen is they would get a call from a ranger one of their rangers that a rhino had been wounded and that it needed to be transported to the boma uh mm-hmm. to 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 be cared for so it could hopefully live. And he said, sometimes they can't get the helicopter for a day or two. So yeah, that rhino it, is yeah, yeah. like two extra days away from treatment, right? Like if you right. get the treatment and quicker, the more likely they are to survive. And so it's, so he said, you know, he said that would be good. And he said, of course, also more education around the villages to mm-hmm. help encourage people to not be a, you know, to, to want to support uh, rhinos and not, have them be poached. And, and then, of course, money. Like showing the villages around there, you get more money from either tourism or from maybe this Bill Gates-type philanthropist mm-hmm. if you don't help poachers than if you do. Like the little bit of right. money that you're going to get from that poacher this one time is not going to – and I shouldn't – I don't know how much money it is and I don't and, – and it's not a little bit of money. It might be a little bit of money to a Westerner, but right. to a lot of the, the local people that live – that border the park – I, it is a fair it's amount a of money. And if, and to be truth be told, we've talked about this before in some other podcasts, but truth be told, if, if you were a person that didn't know when your next meal was coming from, yeah, you would 
probably do the, yeah. I would probably do the same. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I, I don't mean, know. It's, I, it's, it's not, it's for us, from us, for people that look from an outside in, it's easy to say, like, why would you help a poacher out? Um, and cover they get, for yeah, them. They get, yeah, but, they get money, they get help, you know, it could be a, yeah, it's, it's money. And, and and it's you not said, about the money. Said, it's about yeah, the money. It's and about the money. money. It always and is. They're not yeah. getting money from, from their own, uh, from their own ways and means of life or their, or, or any government assistance or things like that. Then yes, they're going to turn de- desperate people do desperate things. And so that would be another way is kind of like line those communities with a stable and stable income and, and ideally an income from the park. Which I met a lot of people, amazing, amazing people from the store clerk to the waitress to the, the rangers I had on my safari tours were so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think you so said, you we, said something more very, more people working in the park, I think would yeah. be good. Yeah. And you said something very important. And, and real quick, I want to say Roxanne from the LA zoo, she does uh, global conservation force. We are going to, we're going to track them down. And have them on. I know Madison, I mentioned her last week. She was just in South Africa training with the dogs. Roxanne from the LA Zoo. We need bunch to learn of more about from, that program. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, you know, Mike's, uh, down at San Diego Zoo, or he was at San Diego Zoo. I'm going to track him down. Uh, a bunch of keepers from there and around the country are working with South Africa training these dogs. I know Roxanne specifically is doing fundraising for their horse patrols and getting saddles and equipment to them in South Africa for that. So there are multiple people fighting, multiple organizations fighting for these animals. And you said something important, talking to him, giving him a billion dollars. Like you're right. Conservation, there is no silver bullet. That's why, you know, education's critical, you know, and, and it, you know, like us here in the United States or in Europe or Australia, you know, we can point and say, Oh, look at the problem there, there, there. When we have to look at our own backyards and what we're doing, like here specifically with wolves, but it is conservation is very complex. It's a very complex issue. And hopefully, you know, we're helping spread the word on, on how we're multiple agencies doing multiple things. You know, if Bill Gates could step in or somebody like that, that, that really cares about conservation and said, okay, I want to do this. Tell me where and how, you know, then we go, okay, well, you need a little bit of money here. You know, Global Conservation Force gets here. International Rhino Foundation gets some here. Save the Rhino Organization gets a little bit here. This Elephant Foundation. So if we protect these umbrella species, you know, we can do that. Then, hey, we got to go and and work with, I know the Gates Foundation does a lot of work in Africa as far as, you know, women's health, things like that, you know, world population. It's multiple things that we have to address. Food. You know, now we're like the cattle or livestock industry. It's like now we're sticking cows on every acre of land we can when, you know, we should probably be eating something else. You know, I mean, it's, it's multiple things all at once and it, it, it's going to take everybody coming together, mm-hmm. not just this organization's going to do it. You know, World Wildlife Foundation, they're wonderful. They can't do it by themselves. No, you know, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I think in the last podcast too, we talked a lot about uh, with elephants, like how many researchers are out there trying to study some of these things and mm-hmm. that and there's no money. There's, there's not no money. a lot of money. There's, you know, yeah, and, no money. but you know, there is, there is hope. And I, sometimes you got to go is. to that dark spot well, here you go. to, to, no, to no, find here's the hope. Here's, the, to find here's, some of the hope. 
So let me give you the good news. Here's the good news. 10 years ago, total out of the five species of rhino, there's about 21,000 around the, around the earth. Okay. Today, rhino numbers are estimated about 29,500. So a 41% increase. So conservation's working for them. It is working, you know, and that's across the five species. Now we know white rhino has remained steady at 20,000. They're the most. So roughly, you know, 20,000 of those are just southern white rhinos and then two northern white rhinos. So conservation is working. It is that we're seeing numbers increase, but, but you still have a bunch, you know, seven, eight hundred getting poached in, in South Africa, Kruger. It's, that's, it's sad. You know, right now birth rates are keeping even with poaching rates is what they're saying. And we need to de- get those poaching rates down or, or gone and then rhinos will rebound, you know, and then we'll be able to reintroduce them to some of these areas where they're, they, we can't right now cause they'll get killed. Right. You know, they, they, they will get killed. So there is good news out there. Now we're going to talk towards the end. I'm going to talk about a study that's a little disheartening in Vietnam, but just to show you again, another piece of conservation, why rhino horn, you know, why are they being poached? It's ridiculous. You know, we talked about this in the, in episode three, and we're going to talk about it in episode 123. People claim that it, it treats fever, rheumatism, which is joint pain, gout, uh, other disorders. There is absolutely no scientific proof that rhino horn does anything because it is simply keratin, which is what is in your hair and fingernails. What they believe it is is called the placebo effect. This has been proven over and over again in multiple studies that there is some sort of placebo effect. If you take something believing it will cure you, sometimes you get better and you're like, oh, it was that. And, you know, there, there is no evidence, none, absolutely zero, that rhino horn does anything. In fact, the study I quoted, I have it here again in front of me, the amino acid composition of keratin or rhino horn, it's almost exactly the same amino acid count or percentages than the human hair. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is no different. And some of the stuff they've been trying to do in Southeast Asia to educate people isn't working. So, you know, again, multiple things at once, education's one, the consumer and on the ground where we're protecting these rhinos. And I know there's things like, flooding the market with fake rhino horn, some of the other strategies, this farmer that wants to sell them for millions of dollars, which I'm going to tell you why that's a bad idea. But some of, some of the strategies might work, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that once again, it's complex. They haven't found one thing that works for sure. But for instance, in Kruger, when the rhinos come into the Boma, they remove the horn. It's like your fingernail and it does continuously grow. Uh, and so every six months they'll basically shave it down and you would think, well, why when a poacher, why can't a poacher just do that? Why can't they just like shave it down and then leave the rhino? Well, rhinos are dangerous wild animals, so they can't get to the rhino unless it's dead. So, which is even more sad is that they are removing something from an animal without that they could, you can just, you can take it off without killing them. And, Mm -hmm. but obviously the poachers don't do that. And so at Kruger and a lot of other parks where they're at, they just remove it to try to de-incentivize 
poachers from messing with them. And now just to make sure that I'm coming across clear is the rhinos that live in the park are not dehorned. But I just want to be clear that uh, the, the rhinos living inside the park, free and wild, they have their horns because they need their horns to, it's part of their mating rituals. And, uh, and so they have their porn, horns. It's when they come into, if they, if they need to come into the boma and they stay in the bomas, that's where they will remove it. Uh, and other strategies have been to potentially infuse horns while it's on the animal mm-hmm. with a mixture of either dye or some kind of poison or something which is safe mm-hmm. to the rhinos, but either toxic or would expose the human that messed with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I think that has mixed results as well. Uh, but I did, you'll appreciate this since you were talking about the amino acid profile of a horn being literally like human hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I stumbled across this uh, paper from scientific reports in 2019, and it was basically called creating artificial rhino horn from horse hair. One of my closest relatives. And the reason why they're needing to get better about creating artificial horn, if they're going to go that route and either flood the market or something like that, is people are getting smarter and starting to look at it like under microscopes and stuff and being like, oh no, this isn't, you know, this isn't, this is not rhino horn. As you can imagine, when you like cross section it, it looks Mm -hmm. differently. But horse hair, what the, these researchers actually took horse hair and bundled it in columns and then however they they use some crazy technology they're not they're they were like they're like um mechanical saying how they did it yeah yeah well they're and they're not a conservation they're like mechanical engineer bio mechanical engineer something crazy like mind-blowing to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know a whole Mm -hmm. nother level than just biochemistry (laughs) yes 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 but yeah, so they used all these crazy like material technology and then they made this and when they, the paper is really cool for a dork like me who's, I, cause I've got to use some, um, scanning electron microscopes. And mm-hmm. so when you look at it under a scanning electron microscope, you cannot tell the difference barely between the rhino horn and the horse hair bundles. Wow. The way, the way, wow. the way that they've synthesized it or whatever. Right. So anyways, I mean, really smart people that aren't necessarily rhino conservationists or zoologists are help are joining in on the fight as well. So right. it's things like that that give us hope and make me excited about other strategies to potentially reduce poaching. Right. And I mean, you know, rhinos are critical to the environment. It's, if you look at their historical range, you know, the Northern whites were, you know, Sudan, that part of the continent. And then obviously the Southern whites were from Angola, you know, Botswana, uh, Mozambique down. But today, I mean, they're isolated in very few parks. And, you know, again, most, a lot of them are in Kruger. Now, just to jump in, I know we, we've talked a lot about the poaching because that's really, you know, critical for them. Just to jump into a little bit more about the white rhino, it's really, there's two species of white rhino. The scientific name is. Oh, we're like just Angie? starting the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. Oh, it's a, my, it's, oh my. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want some more of the factoids, you can go back to episode three, which, uh, you know, you may not want to, but. You know, some of the facts that we didn't I don't quite want to go cover. Back there. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no, no. 
But can you say the scientific name of white rhinos? Did you have to say it in your talk? I don't know if you did or no, not. No, that's oh, yeah, okay. No, that's um, that's me. Okay. I don't have in front of me. What is it like? Cinarium uh, sinocerus or sinocerus? <laughs> okay, I got cerotherium simium. Oh, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to say it. Nor did I so, memorize it. No, no, no. So that's their scientific I'm like, name. I'm like Panthera Leo. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's easy. <laughs> but there's you saw some of those too, especially at night. Equus, that was really equus? cool. Damn. Yeah, Cabalis uh, uh, or yeah. Oh, it's a different oh, one. Equus, equus, equus is uh, <laughs> it's a different one. <laughs> it's extinct, I think. <laughs> it might be. So, oh boy, the uh, Friday night. Tonight. I know. So two subspecies, the northern whites and the southern whites. Now the northern whites have been in the news, which is good because it does highlight the plight that when Sudan died last year, the old male, he was the last male. Now you have the two females, uh, Najin, who's now 29, I believe, and Fatu, who's 18. She's the daughter of Najin. In 1900, there was about less than 3,000 northern whites. 1975, 500, 2003, 30, and now they're extinct in the wild with two held in that special uh, place in Kenya that Rick talks a little bit about, and he gets yeah, to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and be with with them. And so we're going to talk a little bit once again, repro. We're going to get there, talk about some of the things that scientists have done. Now, quickly, rhino <laughs> evolution in two minutes or less, because we ate up a lot of time talking about the poaching thing, which is more important. I think you need to important. go for like a minute. <laughs> okay, so rhinos can be traced back over some 50 million years. The first rhino was really like an, an early relative to the horse 55 million years ago, so the early Eocene. Mm-hmm. The horses and tapers are the rhino's closest relatives. They, you know, just today, the five species have all evolved from different ancient lineages. And then they, they evolved here in North America. I know we said that they evolved in North America, went into Asia, went as far, I think Panama is the, the farthest South they have found rhino remains. So today's five other species of rhino, the Sumatran evolved about 15 million years ago, the blacks in Africa, four to 10 million years ago, the whites two to 5 million years ago, the greater one horned, two to four million years ago, and the Javan, two to four million years ago. So been around a long, long time. Now, we did talk about the largest rhino, which had the most craziest horn I've ever seen in my life. It looks like a dunce cap. Yeah, that's is the giant rhino, <laughs> The giant rhino it's of Siberia. It's so fat. It's so, the oh, base of it is so fat. Huge. It. It's huge. And it stood almost 11 feet tall at the shoulder. I mean, uh, and then 29,000 years ago when it went extinct, like, you know, it's just huge, 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 huge thing. The really quickly life cycle of a southern white rhino in Africa, they can live up to 40 years in the wild. Now, Angie and I have been up close and personal with these. Angie's actually been very personal with these things we'll talk about in a minute. But the females stand about five feet tall to shoulder, 1.7 meters, weigh, you know, 4,000 pounds, 1,700 kilograms. Big. You know, they're big. You stand oh, next to them, they're yeah, impressive. They're, yeah, they're impressive. impressive. Mm-hmm. Now, the males, six feet at the shoulder, one 1.8 meters, and weigh 5,000 pounds, 2,300 kilograms. So not a huge difference in sexual dimorphism, but a little bit bigger. You know, they're a little bit bigger, right? Now, getting to nutrition, I know we... 
these are just like horses, hindgut fermenters. The white rhinos are grazers. Okay, so they primarily eat grass. Yes, and do you know why they're yeah. called white rhinos? Because their poop's white? No. <laughs> because they look a little bit white in the sun? No. Oh, no, you really know I know this one. No, no. It, okay. So if we go back to their name, and in Afrikaans, wide is white, which means wide, right? Did I screw that up? I screwed that up pretty bad. So white name comes from Afrikaans, wide, which mm-hmm. to us sounds like wide. No, no, right. I screwed that up. Okay. I screwed it up. So Europeans heard it as white, so they called them white rhinos. That's all I know. It yeah, that's like all wide. I know. <laughs> I, you're going way too deep, and I'm just like, oh, it was wide, but we heard white. Because, white, so that's why. Right. The, the whites are not necessarily more white than the black rhinos. They're both gray. All right. They're right. Both great. Right. 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 The yeah. biggest difference is in their some size, of course, and behavior and how mm-hmm. they eat, mm-hmm. uh, as far in their lips. And so the white rhinos have a flat square upper lip and or bottom lip for grazing, similar to a horse. And the black rhinos, their upper lip goes into a triangle and almost acts like a prehensile appendage, if you will. It's not right, super, it's right. not super long, but long enough because they're browsers and they browse on the leaves and twigs and things mm-hmm. up high in the, in the, in the, the foliage and the trees. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. totally different eating styles, uh, but not nothing to the black and the white has nothing to do with their color or really no. even their lips, I guess, besides that the white has a, a white. And and it's true. So, you, so you're talking the about the name come from just because the one was white, the other one was black. Yeah, I think so. Okay. That's probably what it is. European, you know that how it goes. But it's important to remember, you know, even though I, I brushed over it, you know, the blacks evolved from a different ancient lineage. Of course. So they, yeah. they can't crossbreed. You can't crossbreed a, a black and white rhino. You can getting into repro breed a northern white and a white. Mm-hmm. But they thought that would create a hybrid. So getting into reproduction, Angie, mm-hmm. some of the facts that you have, and then we can jump into some of the things that the San Diego Zoo just released. It was like within the last two months. It was within the last eight weeks, I think, is when they announced the story that they actually did create two northern white rhino embryos. And we'll talk about what that means. Yes, Chris. Some of my favorite things to talk about are rhino in repro, and not only just from a physiologist's point of view, because reproductive health of hoofstock animals is fascinating to me, but also mm-hmm. because I have been able to intimately study, and when I say intimately, I mean intimately. Yeah. <laughs> Your arm was up the rear end. Yeah, Not the who, sorry, the no. rear end, the mm-hmm. rear end. Yes, yes, yep. I... uh one of my proudest moments was Isn't that, that picture so of yes. your arm up a rhino's rear end. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Mentor. That's why we're friends. Uh, yes, <laughs> I was uh, called in to assist with some white rhino ultrasonography. And mm-hmm. for those of you that aren't familiar with livestock, such as horses in particular, was that was my, um, my graduate study work. I got to practice to become really good from not only – Chris, but then also Dale Kelly, one of my other mentors, mm-hmm. and Anna Mesa spent hours with me learning and helping and us helping each other of ultrasounding horses, which is perfect because who knew, I knew deep down inside, 
that later on in my life, I would need to have that skill set to ultrasound white rhinos. Um, I know. I know. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. Able to work with some colleagues here in Florida that uh, get to do... Yes, I had uh, the pleasure to assist with some colleagues here in Florida that uh, are scientists that work with zoological centers to help with assistive reproductive technologies with all zoo animals, but more in particularly with uh, Dr. Laura Metrioni, one of my mentors, and she was also at the conference, and she is one of my collaborators on white rhinos to check out a lot of what's going on with their reproductive track and tracking their cycle and trying to figure out when they ovulate and things like that for breeding to enhance breeding purposes, um, either through natural means or through a artificial means. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, so yeah, so it's way different, Chris, than a horse. It's big. I bet. Their I bet. Track I is bet. way bigger. You have to use an extended probe. Uh, my hand was, I was, Shoulder deep and, uh, yeah. but we found an ovary and uh, the ovary looked like it was active and healthy. So that's what we want to see. And right. that tells the, um, the zoological facility that they're doing, um, everything they need to, to help that female, uh, potentially get pregnant. And mm-hmm. it was just a, it's just a really cool experience to be able to do that and, and use skills that I've obviously learned at UF towards wildlife and to be up right. close and, uh, helping very my rhinos. And I know people are probably <laughs> yes. going, ew, ew, ew. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, I so know. the technical term is, it's, it's, it's transrectal ultrasonography. Mm. And, um, it's, but let's, it's I mean, it's kind of, yeah. It's scientifically very important. Very important. Very important. Understand very the important. reproductive track. And, and so in human medicine, it's different. Of course, they'll do vaginal, um, ultrasounds when they are doing different procedures. But it's amazing for the way that livestock are designed that their rectum sits on top of their reproductive tract. Right. So it's actually, right. and it's way safer because the rectal mm-hmm. tract is filled with lots of bacteria because, well, you mm-hmm. poop, right? And so, mm-hmm. whereas the vaginal canal, you don't, you don't want to introduce it. You don't want to mess whenever, with it. Yeah. Whenever you yeah. go in there, it has to be very sterile and, mm-hmm. So the rectal tract is a great way to be able to understand what's happening next door in, in the ovaries and in the uterus of livestock species or animals right. built like livestock. So hopefully that made it less gross for people that aren't. Yeah. Um, and it's, I just wanted to like say, them. yeah. And I wanted to say like, it's think about it. We're really fighting to save these animals and we don't fully understand how to do some of these techniques we oh, and the animals fully... don't care. They're like eating. No. They're not even, they yeah. can leave. They don't, they don't care. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, it's voluntary and it's like, it, it's, it doesn't hurt them. And it really is like a vet procedure. You know, it's very advanced. Angie has thousands and thousands and thousands of hours doing this. Well, that's this. why they called me in. Yeah. They were having yeah. issues doing certain things and they brought in. Yeah. Me as the specialist. Angie, I know. <laughs> I'm so hilarious. proud. It was such but, a proud yeah. moment for me. It was one of my proudest moments. All of my grad students have made me proud, but that one, I was like beaming. I was beaming. Well, you, I was well, beaming. You're, you're, and you were a little jelly because you wanted to be I'm Very jealous. Very jealous. Because <laughs> I've been there and I've seen all the babies on the ground running around. Like that is one of my favorite places on earth in Florida. Just I love that place. And they do such a great job uh, understanding and researching white rhinoceros. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's but amazing. Yeah, so- Okay, but enough about 
ultrasound, uh, more about just general reproduction. What we, what we do know about white rhinos in the wild is they would breed throughout the year. And there is a little bit of a peak breeding season between October and December in Southern Africa. And then February to June in Eastern African populations. And they don't migrate, but they will do some traveling during the different breeding seasons. And they use several forms of communication to tell each other, hey, it's time to breed. But before I dive into all the the fun facts about their reproductive natural history, I just want to share a quick little story about when I was in Africa recently Mm -hmm. here in South Africa in Kruger National Park. One of the safaris I was able to go on was a walking safari. So Mm -hmm. typically you have to be in a vehicle on the road and Kruger has a lot of rules and a lot of permits and things like that to keep people safe and of course keep the animals safe. But if you get... If you go with a professional group of rangers, you can do these safari walks. So they're on foot and it was the coolest. I kept sending you mm-hmm. pictures. And mm-hmm. you, I know. I tried I, to take I, some I videos, but you're not really allowed to talk very much because, of course, you have a ranger in front of you and a ranger behind you protecting you just in case. And a quick spoiler, we didn't see anything. So we didn't really – I did. well, I take that back. There was one, yeah. uh, one warthog. Okay. As far as animals go. Dung but beetles? I, and dung beetles. Dung yes, beetles? I've seen the dung beetles. Beetles, those videos still. <laughs> yes. But what I had a lot of fun was, was actually seeing all the animal poop, right? We, everybody who mm-hmm. listens to this podcast knows, knows I love poop and looking at it. But what we came across in our hike was a rhino midden. Mm-hmm. And these middens, so it's M-I-D-D-E-N, it's basically a name, a fancy name given to a pile of poop, but a huge pile of, it's a communal toilet. <laughs> it's, it's an outhouse it, for rhinos. Yes, it's an outhouse for rhinos. And we came across a large, oh, it was probably three or four meters in diameter across. Oh my gosh, a, that's insane. Yeah, of a white rhino midden. And we spent a lot of time, and they can get a lot bigger than that. Uh, mm-hmm. but we spent a lot of time there looking at their poop and, and what was really cool is that there was actually some black rhino feces in there as well. Okay. And I think okay. I sent you the picture and we'll put it on Instagram and we'll, we'll do a little quiz to see if people can tell the difference between the white rhino poop and the black rhino poop. Right. Was, okay. Okay. It was primarily a white rhinoceros, uh, midden and, yeah, they use these middens as ways to leave chemical signals about whose territory it is and who's in estrus and mm-hmm. who's the tough guy on the block. So they're like these – to us, it's like, oh, they're just communal toilets. But no, no, no. It's so much more than that. It is where the males can pick up on the scent of whether or not the female is in estrus and receptive. Mm-hmm. So really, really cool. I got to stand in one. It was awesome. If that's as close as I want to be to a white rhino in the wild, that absolutely, that's perfect. Yeah, you know? yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. It was just really, really cool. So when a male goes to the midden, I love to picture humans doing this thing and, <laughs> and picks up on the smell that the female is an estrus. And so she's receptive and ready to be mm-hmm. bred. He'll use his scent and, uh, to track her down. But she makes it a little easier from her, for him, mm-hmm. because when she's an estrus, some of her courtship behaviors include frequent urination and whistling mm-hmm. sounds. 
Okay. Okay. So, track, so you can track her down. And so it makes me giggle a little bit, of course, when I put human behavior in this, you know, you picture, know. you know, some young gentleman in, in a, in a midden. Whistling, huh? Yeah. No, he's not whistling. He's standing there. Uh, and but she's whistling, yeah. She, yeah, she's across the bar whistling and yeah. urinating too, of course. But you know, as he comes, <laughs> as he comes out of the restroom, oh hey, there she yeah, is. Yeah, there she is. Yeah. Someone that's whistling. So, so yeah, so she definitely, you know, and I don't know the whistle, uh, but I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can find it online. But yes, and so, long story short. Uh, once that happens, they come together and the male is also going to be high testosterone. This happens, of course. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, but they'll stay together for up to two to five days, um, hanging out with each other, breeding. And then basically after that, the female will leave the male's territory and be on her way. And mm. so when she is bred, she's going to have a long gestation period. Yeah, it's long. It's just long. And it, it's yeah. about 530 to 550 days. Yeah. yeah that's a long time. Ouch. I mean, yeah, I know. Well, elephants like at 22 months, but rhinos are right behind them. Right. And so right when we them. talk about generation interval, interval and how long it takes to grow a population, it, it mm-hmm. takes a long time mm-hmm. with white mm-hmm. rhinos or rhinos in general because when a rhino is born, it's really needy. It's going to be by its mom's side. For the first two months, nursing solely. After two months, it'll start grazing. Um, by the time it's six months, and the offspring will double in size. But he sticks with mom. But a calf usually doesn't start weaning until at a year or so. And then won't even leave their mother's side until they reach two to two and a half years. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. And that's why yeah. when these orphans come into the BOMA, they're there if they can release them at time. all, they yeah. can't release them for a long time because I mean, two, three years till they're somewhat mature. And right. then, and females aren't going to be cycling or starting breeding until they're about five years old. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot longer for them to mature. And that's where these, that's why the numbers, they've grown a little, but it's going to take a lot to get these populations to rebound. And if you're still poaching seven, eight, nine hundred thousand a year, it's just not going to happen. And then as yeah. you and I always talk about with these smaller populations of animals, all it takes is one disease, one fire, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one major environmental catastrophe, a drought. To, for God's to almost sakes. wipe them out. Yeah. Yeah. To almost and, wipe so, them out. yeah. and especially too with a lot of the white rhino population being in South Africa in general. And South Africa is a very stable country and, you know, they take very good care of their animals, but, but still just in general, it's, we we need more of them. I mean, there's no, I mean, it's and they, but they need the time to grow. To grow the popular. I mean, the the white rhinos have been stable, but the other rhino populations are going up a little bit, which is good. And, you know, we talked about the northern whites. So there's two left, two females. And what the San Diego Zoo announced a few weeks ago in 2019 is they created two northern white rhino embryos. So what does that mean? And that I did a lot of this work during my PhD studies down in Texas and did a lot of embryo work and a lot of creating embryos in the lab. And then also, you know, recovering embryos from horses. That's where I, I, the animal species that I learned on. And what we learn in, say, horses and other species, we can apply to wildlife, but it doesn't necessarily always work. So white rhinos, it's been a challenge because, like, 
Angie said she was one of the few that could actually find the ovaries. And it, it's very, each reproductive tract is stuff is different in animals. And so what they did is they went to the two northern whites and recovered oocytes from them, which is a very, not invasive, but it's a very advanced, advanced technique to be able to aspirate, to be able to aspirate follicles in a live animal. I mean, these, these female rhinos, their ovaries weren't taken out. They actually had to use a needle to go in there and try to aspirate these follicles to get an oocyte, which is the female egg. And so you don't get many of them. It's, it's, it's a very invasive technique. It's, it's, you know, we did it in horses and the, the, the veterinarians I was working with in Texas, you know, often we wouldn't get them. It's, it's so hard to get them. So the fact that they actually got some oocytes from these females and then they use a sperm cell from two of the dead male northern white rhinos that is frozen. So you can freeze that almost indefinitely in liquid nitrogen. And then you put that in a Petri dish and they used advanced technique to bring those together, ICSI, and then create an embryo. And when I did it in horses, it was very inefficient. I mean, very inefficient, very, very difficult Mm -hmm. procedure. So it's a big deal. So what they do, what they have now is these two embryos that are just a group of cells. That's all it is. It doesn't look like a little rhino or anything like that. It's just a, a clump of cells is they're frozen right now and they, we still don't have the techniques to transfer those embryos into a female. And so what they want to do, theoretically what we can do is take whatever oocytes we can from these female Northern whites, some sperm cells, put them in a Petri dish, get some embryos, and then put them in a Southern white rhino because they're subspecies. So they're very similar Mm -hmm. in hopes that that female gets pregnant and can carry that northern white rhino baby to term. Now, this is like the last grasp at a straw for any species, and this is where we don't want to be. We don't want to be here with any species because, sure, let's get a couple northern white rhino babies. Oh, great. Maybe they're a male and a female. Awesome. You know, Adam and Eve, here we go. But think about the interbreeding and the genetics. There's no genetic diversity. There's, you know, that population is going to be so, so difficult to bring these northern whites back. It, it, it's probably impossible. But, but the reason this is so important is maybe not so much for the northern whites, but what we can do for the southern whites, especially if we start getting or down the to Jobins, some critical population. Sumatrans and exactly. Other ones. Mm-hmm. And the other ones. What we're learning by this, so it is very worthwhile. What we're learning from it, we can apply to other rhino species. The northern whites, in my opinion, are extinct. I I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope they can get a few babies out and maybe we can start regenerating this population like we did with the Brzezwalski horse. It was down to twelve. Mm-hmm. And now we have a few thousand, so that's good. It's just you don't want to get down to these numbers. It, 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 and that is what we're fighting for is to try to save pangolins or the saiga or lemurs or other animal species out there that are really critically lo- low numbers. We we want to preserve those numbers because once yes. you get down to a small handful, it, it's very difficult to bring back. But we do it. You know, zoos mm-hmm. have done it. Mm-hmm. Black-footed ferret, another one. We were down to, what, 15? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the California yeah. condor, we were down to 20-something breeding, you know. So it can be done. 
It can be done. It's not impossible. It's just, it's it's a big hill to climb. But the goal is we all need a little bit more of this in our lives. Those are three white rhino calves. Oh, oh. Oh. if if you're on Instagram, you've got to follow the rhino orphanages. They're just and the elephant orphanages. Rhinos have a lot of vocal communications. I can't cover all the adult ones. There's uh, besides whistling, we already talked about that. There's grunting and bellowing, and yeah, there's a lot of different, um, a lot of different noises. In fact, I wish my husband was awake right now. He makes a phenomenal. Uh, rhino noise and I'm just not good at it, but I had to play. I had to, I had to share with you a little bit of, uh, rhino paths because they're Bless just those people. Oh. so squeaky and cute. Those people that are taking care of them. I just, I want to hug them. So looking at conservation, you know, like we said, Northern white rhinos, you're down to the two females extinct in the wild. The Southern whites around 20,000 hasn't changed in the two years since we've covered them near threatened. This is. You know, again, the issue is not only on the ground in Africa, but also where the consumer is. And the consumer is in Southeast Asia. One of the countries is Vietnam. I mean, that is a a huge trafficker of a lot of these animals. And Vietnam is doing some things to limit that. You know, the, they're, Illegal trade. They're trying to cut down on the Ill- illegal trade and use of rhino horn, but it's still not abating the demand. There's been a ton of campaigns, World Wildlife Fund. I saw one there showing like fingernails on a, on a rhino or a foot on a rhino that saying rhino horns, nothing but toenails that that didn't really do much. And this is a study I covered in a conservation news segment. I don't know if it was one we did for Patreon only, but. It was a study that they went and interviewed users of rhino horn in Vietnam. And this is a little disheartening. So bear with me again, just showing you the complexity of the issue. And we have to have multiple strategies. So, you know, it's like not only trying to either abate or confuse the market in Asia, but also fight and save for the rhinos in Africa. So in this study, they interviewed 30 self-confessed users of rhino horn and actually one rhino horn trader. And they said, again, why they use rhino horn includes hangovers, fever, gout, stuff like that, terminal illnesses like stroke or cancer. And what really made me sad is some of the people said they they bought it to give it to a terminally ill relative just to show them that they did everything they could. Like, here, use this magic medicine. This will cure you, even though it does nothing. So, you know, the, the, the demand's there. That's what the demand's for. They have found that there is no stigma of using rhino horn in Vietnam, despite educational efforts. The consumers said they're not concerned about the the plight of rhinos or the poaching. They thought it was an Africa problem, something far away that they didn't see or care about. They only cared about their daily life, which is what something Angie and I have been talking about the last couple of weeks. So they were like, eh, it doesn't matter. Rhinos were killed. Big deal. They, they didn't care. They didn't care. They shrugged it off. Well, they clearly have not been listening to baby rhino squeaks and watching the videos and following some of these groups on Facebook, the way, or Instagram or any social media and just learning more about them because I think things would change through education. Uh, and not only about that it comes from an animal and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a cute one, be it that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and an endangered mm -hmm. one, but also I think as they learn more about 
the physiology is it just take horse hair. Like that's fine. There's plenty of horses, um, domestic ones or, or something else. I mean, we just need some other trend of like, Alfalfa well, spouts or something. I know. Yeah. My hope is in the younger generation. I think the as we become more connected in the world through social media, that's why sharing like this podcast or this information is critical. The younger population that's hip to this stuff, yes. I think, is impressionable. It's the older generation that is set in their ways that doesn't follow Those social boomers, media. Man, yeah, I know, mom and dad, and. So they, they, overall, they found that the education campaigns have done nothing. They have actually didn't win over these people that used it. They did, they could care less. But like I said, I think, I think it's, we're going to have some impact on the young population. And they even said like people seek out wild rhino horn, not domestic rhino horn. So this guy that has all the rhino horns stored up in a garage somewhere in South Africa that's worth millions and millions of dollars. If they know that was a quote unquote farmed rhino horn, they won't buy it. They want wild because it's mystical. So it just well, shows you that the ignorance that we're fighting. But like I said, social media, we got to connect the world. We got to get the internet phone. I mean, you know, we've got to get the word out to these people uh, in these countries that, you know, the pangolin scales, rhino horn, all of these things well, do not Chris, work. I, uh, also, yes, we need to get the word out to people in other countries, but the U.S. is a huge consumer of rhino horn. You're right. I'm, I, I, like we said, we're pointing the finger. I just was going to say that. We Didn't, need to Rick, run a campaign talked about in New it. York, in Miami, yeah. in D.C., yeah. in Houston, in L.A. San Francisco, L.A., yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Washington, Seattle. It's, it, we are, you know, we point the finger because that's where a lot of it goes, but it does come into the United States. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely 100% correct. And you know, we always got to look at our own backyard. Control. You can yeah. share this podcast or share mm-hmm. our conservation organizations that we're going to talk about here in a minute, mm-hmm. or just show them a cute YouTube video of a rhino and, mm-hmm. you know, hashtag like, I don't know what's going to happen. It is the exact same amino acid content than your hair. Eat your hair yeah, if you want hashtag, some medicine. You know, eat your toenails or hashtag, you know, <laughs> chubby unicorns. Keep them like you want to keep, you know, the mystical thing yeah. going. Like keep them alive. Like it's just I know. I know. Horn is I not know. cool. Hashtag horn's not cool. Or yeah, horns horn's not, are not healthy. Cool. Or I don't know. I'm not yeah. that clever with words quite <laughs> quite clearly. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm starting to get all fired up here, Chris. We gotta, I know, we gotta I know. wrap it up. All right, we gotta wrap up it up. Before, all right. Uh, so who, we had a couple organizations we wanted to highlight and, you know, I was going to talk about the International Rhino Foundation. They amazing website, rhinos.org. Go check them out. Some wonderful information, the work that they're doing. You know, they're working hard for all five species, but, you know, and then, like I said, Global Conservation Force, I am going to track them down. And they're going into year three, you know, this is episode 123, but for year three, I'm going to be really working with those folks. They're doing some amazing work. You know, they're actually on the ground flying back and forth to Africa and other parts of the world. So, you know, kudos to them. But check out the International Rhino Foundation, rhinos.org. Yes, and I want to follow up with uh, savetherhino.org. 
that's actually where I got a lot of my poaching statistics from. And we will put uh, this link on the show notes so you can take a look at some of these bar graphs. And they also have a really nice write-up too about what's been happening and with the poaching crisis. But in general, savetherhino.org does so much for rhinos. A, a lot of different programs going on with many different disciplines from protecting rhinos on the ground to reducing illegal trade of rhino horn to involving local communities, which we know is key to bringing in experts that can help with the different niches that need resolve or need to be worked on. And then several different programs in different countries to help this crisis. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, they have, also share on their website a lot of ways to get involved with either through World Rhino Day, of course, through donating uh, or joining joining their team and helping fundraise. You can throw events. You can get your business involved. Uh, you can be a volunteer. So it's not always about the money. With these guys, you can definitely just share their content or volunteer, get involved. Uh, I know Allison, my dear friend, our dear friend here of of the podcast. It was so fun. I actually just recently presented her with her T, I just presented her with her all creature podcast t-shirt for being one of my top, um, plastic, for being one of the top participators Mm -hmm. in plastic free July for our all creature podcast team. She rocked it. She was a team captain. She, she killed it. She set the bar really high with, uh, reducing her plastic consumption that month and sharing sharing strategies with us. So I got to give her a t-shirt, an All Creatures Podcast t-shirt recently, and tell her, of course, all about Africa and telling her, please take me back to Africa. And so she recently ran a marathon yeah. uh, in London yeah. Yeah. past um, April uh, for her birthday. That's so she She's spent one of my her, heroes. She's she spent her heroes. birthday yeah. running a marathon in London, raising, I think she raised up to $7,000 mm-hmm. uh, for rhinos to save the rhino.org. And she ran the London Marathon in a rhino suit. Rhino suit. She and, is one of my heroes. And I don't mean Ugh. like a rhino hat. I mean like a no, full-on full Disney on suit. I think it weighed like 30 pounds, 30 She's to 40 insane. pounds. She's so She amazing. couldn't see, which is kind of funny because rhinos don't have the best <laughs> vision so she's running through the streets of london i followed her in real time on of course these amazing that you you have and i'm like oh she's going past this and oh she's going past this landmark (laughs) this building she's going across the bridge and she's like yeah no i couldn't see any of it i i had a a a, a rhino suit on angie i could barely (laughs) ground about to die after 20 whatever miles so she's amazing but but anyways, she's a, hero. she's a big fan of uh, SaveTheRhino.org, so, uh, and she does her research and knows that they're a great group. Well, and, and go back to episode, episode 21, Rhino Relocation. It's one of the interviews, first interviews of the podcast that, I mean, I, Conservation Crush, like just, she blew oh, me away. Yeah. I, t- I do too. Oh, uh, she blew me away. She blew me away. So please check her out. All right, Angie, we are going to be back to our regularly scheduled program next week with the new species we haven't covered mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. But I, I really, I really want, I'm glad we, we re- revisited elephants last week and southern white rhinos. We're going to definitely, you know, in the next Hopefully year or two, go back to our third. Episode. No, it's, it's different. different. It's different. Yeah, we're different. It's different. We're different. We talked a lot about what My they're facing, which we couldn't. Worse now. 
my puns. <laughs> I mean, we were so like scientists and, and oh, do you know they do this, Angie? And oh, and this in their diet. Like we're just so mechanical scientists. Like da, 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 now we're like, ah, let's talk about the real issue, you know? But I think it's a good compliment to episode three. So if you really want the nerdy details, Angie and I were really nerdy in episode three as far as what they eat, all the different rhino species, things like that. But Oh, we didn't even you know, cover this, really what they eat in this podcast. Well, we said grazers. Grass. So. Yeah, they're grazers. <laughs> they grass. Grass, and, period. and we talked to phytoestrogens. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, but thank you for listening. We're going to be back next week with the new species, kind of back to our normal rhythm. And share this episode. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, yes, we, All Creatures uh, Podcast. Have, our Facebook hasn't really been growing as much as I would like. Yeah. I know Instagram is growing. So please help us grow. Please uh, subscribe, rate, and review and definitely review. The more you review us, the more it helps us get more traction. People can find mm-hmm. us when they Google animal podcasts and things mm-hmm. like that. And so that's a little way that you can easily give back with a 10 second click of a button. And we would yeah. really appreciate it. And of course, if you leave us a, a review, if it's a good one, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll, just we'll a good one. You, we'll mention you on the podcast and all will be right. With somebody the gave us, somebody gave us a one star and they're like, love the podcast, but cover extinct animals. And they gave us a one star. I'm like, what? what? That makes no sense. You love the yeah, podcast. <laughs> see, well, don't you just broke the golden rule. We shouldn't have brought it up on the podcast. Now nah, you don't want to give shout outs to that. Um, okay. but no, yes. Or if you have a little kid, mention your little kid yeah. and we'll, we'll say yeah. their name. I know my, yeah. My uh, my boys love when they hear their name on other podcasts oh. and things like that. So yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. We're gonna be back, and we love you. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.